volume two chapters twenty five and twenty six of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain twenty five enid the pilot star of my lone life having seen the chief representative of pergament and pergament placed his interests in the hands of that respectable house and chosen the advocates who were to defend his cause should this pretended cousin of his dare to assert her rights in a court of law churchill penwin felt himself free to go back to cornwall by the midday train he had an uneasy feeling in being away from home at this juncture a vague sense of impending peril on all sides a passionate desire to be near his wife and child he had ample time for thought during that long journey westward time to contemplate his position in all its bearings to wonder whether his wisdom might not after all be folly beside madge's clear-sighted sense of right she spoke the bitter truth he thought wealth and estate have not brought me happiness they have gratified my self-esteem satisfied my ambition but they have not given me restful nights or peaceful dreams would it be better for me to please madge throw up the sponge and go to the other end of the world to begin life afresh remote from all old associations out of reach of the memory of the past no he told himself after a pause there is no new life for me i am too old for beginning again he thought of his triumphs of last session those bursts of fervid eloquence which had startled the house into the admission that a new orator had arisen as when the younger pitt first demonstrated to the doubtful senate that he was a worthy son of the great commoner he was just at the beginning of a brilliant parliamentary career and with him ambition was an all-powerful passion to let these things go even for madge's sake would be too great a sacrifice and his boy was he to bequeath nothing to that beloved son neither fortune nor name i could more easily surrender penwin than my chances of personal distinction he said to himself it was nine o'clock in the evening when he arrived at seacombe he had telegraphed for his groom to meet him with the dog-cart and as the train steamed slowly into the station he saw the lamps of that well-appointed vehicle shining across the low rail which divided the platform from the road a dark night for a drive by that wild moorland way shall i drive sir asked the groom no churchill answered shortly and the next minute they were flying through the darkness the light vehicle swayed from side to side on the stony road it would be a short cut out of all my difficulties if i were to come to grief somewhere between this and the manor-house thought churchill a sudden fall upon a heap of stones a splintered skull an inquest and all over poor madge it would be bad for her but a relief perhaps who can tell she has owned that her life has been bitterness since that fatal day her very love for me is a kind of martyrdom poor madge if it was not a cowardly thing to give up all at the first alarm i verily believe i could bring myself to turn my back upon penwin manor take my wife and child out to sydney and try my luck as a barrister in a colonial court for her sake for her sake would not the humblest life be happiness with her things seemed to take a new shape to him during that swift homeward drive he passed the shadowy plantations the trees of his planting bowled smoothly along the well-made road that crossed his own estate and thought with a curious wonder how little actual happiness his possessions had given him how small a matter it would be after all to lose them 
the lighted windows of the north lodge shone out upon him as he mounted the crest of the last hill and saw manor-house and gardens pine-groves and shrubberies before him rebecca is keeping later hours than usual isn't she he asked she's very ill sir at death's door they do say answered the groom but that queer young granddaughter of hers has kept it dark as long as she could on account of the drink being at the bottom of it begging your pardon sir do you mean that rebecca drinks well yes sir on the quiet i believe she have always been inclined that way excuse me for mentioning it sir but you see a master is always the last to hear of these things they were at the gates by this time elspeth came out of the lodge as they drove up take the dog-cart round to the stables hunter said churchill alighting i am going in to see rebecca oh sir your dear lady is here with grandmother said elspeth my wife yes sir she came down this afternoon hearing grandmother was so bad and mrs penwin wouldn't have any one else to nurse her though she's been raving and going on awful churchill answered not a word but snatched the candle from the girl's hand and went up the narrow staircase a wild hoarse scream told him where the sick woman was lying he opened the door and there in a close room where a fever-tainted atmosphere seemed stifling and poisonous after the fresh night air he saw his wife kneeling by a narrow iron bedstead holding the gypsy's bony frame in her arms he flung open the casement as wide as it would go the cold night breeze rushed into the little room almost extinguishing the candle madge are you mad do you know the danger of being in this fever-poisoned room i know that there would have been danger for you had i not been here churchill his wife answered gently i have been able to keep others out which nothing less than my influence would have done half the gossips of penwin village would have been round this wretched creature's bed but for me and her ravings have been dreadful with a shudder what has she talked about all that happened at eversham that night answered madge in an awe-stricken whisper she has forgotten no detail again and again and again she has repeated the same words but mr price says she cannot last many hours life is ebbing fast did price hear her raving not much she was quieter while he was here and i was trying to engage his attention to prevent his taking much notice of her wild talk oh madge madge what have you not borne for me and now you expose yourself to the risk of typhoid fever for my sake there is no risk of typhoid this poor creature is dying of delirium tremens mr price assured me she has lived on brandy for ever so long and brain and body are alike exhausted a wild scream broke from rebecca's pale lips and then with an awful distinctness churchill heard her tell the story of his crime drunk was i cried the gypsy with a wild laugh not so drunk but i could see not so drunk but i could hear i heard him fire the shot i saw him creep out from behind the hedge i saw him wipe his blood-stained hands i have the handkerchief still it's worth more to me than a love token it's helped me to a comfortable home brandy give me some brandy my throat is like a lime-kiln madge took a glass of weak brandy and water from the table and held it to the tremulous lips the gypsy drank eagerly but frowningly and then struggled to free herself from madge penwin's embrace let me get at the bottle she gasped 
i don't want the cat-lap you give me let me hold her said churchill go home dearest i will stop to the end no churchill you would be less patient than i and if you nursed her it would set people talking while it is only natural for me to be with her elspeth opened the door a little way and peeped in asking if she could be useful no elspeth there is nothing for you to do i have done all mr price directed go to bed child and sleep if you can there is nothing more to be done and she'll die before the night is out perhaps said the girl with a horror-stricken look at the emaciated figure on the bed mr price told me there was no hope you should not have let her drink so much elspeth said madge gently how could i help it if i'd refused to fetch her the brandy she would have turned me out of doors and i should have had to go on the tramp and that would have been hard after i'd got used to sleeping in a house and having my victuals regular i daren't refuse to do anything she asked me for fear of the strap she wouldn't hesitate about laying in to me poor unhappy child there go to your room and lie down i will take care of you henceforward elspeth the girl said not a word but came gently into the room knelt down by mrs penwin and took up the hem of her dress and kissed it in an almost oriental expression of gratitude and submission i've heard tell about angels but i never believed in em till i came to know you she said tearfully and then left the room rebecca had sunk back upon the pillow exhausted madge sat beside her prepared for the next interval of delirium churchill stood by the window looking out at the pine grove and the dark sea beyond and thus the night wore on and at daybreak just when the slate-coloured sea looked coldest and the east wind blew sharp and chill and the shrill cry of chanticleer rang loud from the distant farmyard rebecca mason's troubled spirit passed to the land of rest and churchill penwin knew that the one voice which could denounce him was silenced for ever before breath had departed from that wasted frame the squire had examined all boxes and drawers in the room they were not many lest any record of his secret should lurk among the gipsy's few possessions he had gone downstairs to the sitting-room for the same purpose and had found nothing afterwards when all was over he found a little bundle rolled up in a tattered old bird's-eye neckerchief under the dead woman's pillow it contained a few odd coins and the handkerchief with which james penwin's murderer had wiped his ensanguined hand all churchill's influence had been too little to extort this hideous memento from the gipsy while life remained to her madge was kneeling by the open window her face hidden absorbed in silent prayer when her husband discovered this hoarded treasure he took it down to the room below thrust it among the smouldering ashes of the wood-fire and watched it burn to a grey scrap of tinder which fluttered away from the hearth a little after daybreak elspeth was up and dressed and had sped off to the village in search of a friendly gossip who was wont to perform the last offices for poor humanity to this woman madge resigned her charge lord bless you ma'am cried the village dame lost in admiration to think that a sweet young creature like you should leave your beautiful home to nurse a poor old woman madge and her husband went home in the cold autumn dawn grave and silent both with faces that looked wan and worn in the clear grey light some of the household had sat up all night churchill's body-servant mrs penwin's maid and an underling to wait upon those important personages there is a fire in your dressing-room ma'am said mills the maid shall i get you tea or coffee you can bring me some tea presently and to the dressing-room mr and mrs penwin went madge 
said churchill when mills had brought the tea-tray and been told she would be rung for when her services were required and husband and wife were alone together if i had needed to be assured of your devotion to-night would have proved it to me but i had no need of such assurance and to-night is but one more act of self-sacrificing love one more bond between us it shall be as you wish dearest i will resign fortune and status and lead the life you bid me lead if i sinned for your sake and i at least believe that i so sinned i will repent for your sake and whatever atonement there may be in the sacrifice of this estate it shall be made churchill my own true husband she was on her knees by his side her head lying against his breast her eyes looking up at him with love unspeakable will this sacrifice set your heart at rest madge it will dear love for i believe that heaven will accept your atonement remember it is in my option however strong these people's case may be to compromise matters to retain the estate and only surrender half the income to hold my place in the county to be to all effects and purposes squire of penwin to have the estate and something over three thousand a year to live upon that course is open to us these people will take half our fortune and be content if i surrender what they are willing to leave me it is tantamount to throwing three thousand a year into the gutter shall i do that madge if you wish me to know rest or peace love i can know neither while we retain one sixpence of james penwin's money it shall be done then my dearest but remember that in making this sacrifice you perhaps doom your son to a life of poverty and poverty is bitter madge we have both felt its sting providence will take care of my son so be it madge you have chosen she put her arms round his neck and kissed him my dearest now i am sure that you love me she said gently madge you are shivering the morning air has chilled you exclaimed her husband anxiously and then turning her face towards him he looked at her long and earnestly the vivid morning light clear and cold showed him every line in that expressive face he scrutinized it with sharpest pain never till this moment had he been fully aware of the change which secret anguish had wrought in his wife's beauty the gradual decay which had been going on before his eyes unobserved in the preoccupation of his mind my love how ill you are looking he said anxiously i am not ill churchill i have been unhappy but that is all past now that woman's presence at our gates was a perpetual horror to me she is gone and i seem to breathe more freely this sacrifice of yours will bring peace to us both i feel assured of that in a new world among new faces we shall forget and god will be good to us he will forgive a burst of hysterical sobs interrupted her words and for once in her life madge penwin lost all power of self-control her weakness did not last long before churchill could summon mills his wife had recovered herself and smiled at him even with a pale wan smile i am a little tired dear that is all i will go to bed for an hour or two rest as long as you can dear i will write to pergament while you are sleeping and ask him to make immediate arrangements for our voyage to sydney that mills seems a faithful girl speaking of his wife's maid she might go with us as nugent's nurse no dear i shall take no nurse i am quite able to wait upon my pet we must begin life in a very humble way and i am not going to burden you with a servant it shall be as you please dear 
perhaps after all i may not do so badly in the new country i shall take my parliamentary reputation as a recommendation madge left him she looked white and weak as some pale flower that had been beaten down by wind and rain churchill went to his dressing-room refreshed his energies with a shower-bath dressed in his usual careful style and went down to the dining-room at the sound of the breakfast-bell viola was there when he entered playing with nugent which small personage was the unfailing resource of the ladies of the household in all intervals of ennui the little fellow screamed with delight at sight of his father churchill took him in his arms and kissed him fondly while viola rang for the nurse good morning churchill i did not know you had come back what a rapid piece of business your london expedition must have been yes i did not care about wasting much time what were you doing yesterday viola i spent the day with the vivians at the hall they had a wind-up croquet match it was great fun and you were not home till late i suppose not so very late it was only half-past nine o'clock but madge had retired what makes her so late this morning viola evidently knew nothing of her sister's visit to the lodge she was engaged in a work of charity last night and is worn out with fatigue he told viola how madge had nursed the dying woman that woman she disliked so much was there ever such a noble heart as my sister's cried viola the form of breakfast gone through and appearances thus maintained churchill went up to his dressing-room where he had a neat business-like oak davenport and a small iron safe let into the wall in which he kept his banker's book and all important papers he had been spending very nearly up to his income during his reign at penwin his improvements had absorbed a good deal of money and he had spared nothing that would embellish or substantially improve the estate the half-year's rents had not long been got in however and he had a balance of over two thousand pounds at his banker's this which he would draw out at once would make a decent beginning for his new life his wife's jewels were worth at least two thousand more exclusive of those gems which he had inherited under the old squire's will and which would naturally be transferred with the estate it was a hard thing for churchill to write to mr pergament formally surrendering the estate and leaving it to the lawyer to investigate the claim of justina penwin alias elgood and if that claim were a just one to effect the transfer of the property to that lady without any litigation whatsoever pergament will think me mad he said to himself as he signed this letter however i have kept my promise to madge my poor girl i did not know till i looked in her face this morning what hard lines care had written there he wrote a second letter to his bankers directing them to invest sixteen hundred in grand trunk of canada first preference bonds a security of which the interest was not always immediately to be relied upon but which could be realized without trouble at any moment he told them also to send him four hundred pounds in notes tens twenties fifties his third letter was to the agents of a famous australian line telling them to reserve a cabin for himself and wife in the merlin which was to sail in a week and enclosing a cheque for fifty pounds on account of the passage money i have left no time for repentance or change of plans he said to himself his letters dispatched by the messenger who was wont to carry the post-bag to penwin village churchill went to his wife's room the blinds were closely drawn shutting out the sunlight madge was sleeping soundly but heavily and the anxious husband fancied that her breathing was more laboured than usual her cheek so pale when he had seen her last was now flushed to a vivid crimson and the hand he gently touched as he bent over her was dry and burning 
he went downstairs and out to the stables where he told hunter the groom to put wallace in the dog-cart and drive over to seacombe to fetch dr hilliard the most important medical man in that quiet little town wallace is not so fresh as he might be sir you drove him rather fast last night take tarpan then this was a wonderful concession on the squire's part but tarpan was the fastest horse in the stable and churchill was nervously anxious for the coming of the doctor that heavy breathing might mean nothing or it might he dared not think of coming ill now when he had built his life on new lines content to accept a future shorn of all that glorifies life in the minds of worldlings so that he kept madge and madge's fond and faithful heart tarpan was brought out a fine upstanding horse as hunter called him head and neck full of power i a trifle more fiery than a timid horseman might have cared to see it he's likely to go rather wild in harness isn't he sir asked hunter contemplating the bay dubiously not if you know how to drive answered the squire the man i bought him from used to drive him tandem ask dr hilliard to come back with you at once you can say that i am anxious about mrs penwin yes sir very sorry to hear your lady is not well sir nothing serious i hope i hope not but you can tell dr hilliard i am anxious yes sir churchill saw the man drive away the bright harness and tarpan shining coat glancing gaily between the pine trees as the dog-cart spun along the avenue and then went back to his wife's room and sat by the bedside and never left his post till dr hilliard arrived three hours later madge had slept all the time but still with that heavy laboured breathing which had alarmed her husband dr hilliard came quietly into the room a small grey-headed old man whose opinion had weight in seacombe and for miles round he sat by the bed felt the patient's wrist lifted the heavy eyelids prolonged his examination with a serious aspect there has been a mental disturbance has there not he asked my wife has been anxious and over-fatigued i fear attending a dying servant there is a good deal of fever i fear the attack may be somewhat serious you must get an experienced nurse without delay it will be a case for good nursing i don't want to alarm you needlessly added the doctor seeing churchill's terror mrs penwin's youth and fine constitution are strong points in our favour but from indications i perceive i imagine that her health must have been impaired for some time past there has been a gradual decay an attack so sudden as this of to-day would not account for the careworn look of the countenance or for this attenuation gently raising the sleeper's arm from which the cambric sleeve had fallen back the wasted wrist which churchill remembered so round and plump tell me the truth said churchill in accents strangely unlike his customary clear and measured tones you think there is danger oh dear no my dear sir there is no immediate danger with watchfulness and care we shall defeat that tendency towards death which has been described as symptomatic of all fever cases i only regret that mrs penwin should have allowed her physical strength to sink to so low a point without taking remedial measures that makes the fight harder in a sudden derangement of this kind do you imagine that it is a case of contagious fever that my wife has taken the poison from the woman she nursed last night was mrs penwin with the woman before last night some days ago for instance no only last night then there can be no question of contagion 
the fever would not declare itself so quickly this feverish condition in which i find your dear lady to-day must have been creeping up upon her for a week or ten days the system has been out of order for a long time i imagine and some sudden chill may have developed the symptoms we have to regret to-day twenty six for all is dark where thou art not before the week was out muriel was so far recovered as to be able to bear a long journey and so tranquil as to render that journey possible her couch had been wheeled into a corner of the family sitting-room she had been brought back into the household life and her father had devoted himself to her with a quiet tenderness which went far to soothe her troubled mind the old hallucination still remained she spoke of george penwin as living and she could not be brought to understand that the child who had been taken from her an infant was now a woman she had little memory no thought of the past or of the future but she clung to her father affectionately and was grateful for his love maurice had made all arrangements for muriel's journey before leaving cornwall after his interview with churchill it had been settled that martin should bring his sister to the neighbourhood of london accompanied by phoebe as her attendant this phoebe was a bright active girl quite able to manage muriel maurice was to find pleasant apartments in the suburbs where muriel might be comfortably lodged in less than twenty-four hours after his departure from borsal he had telegraphed martin to the effect that he had found pleasant lodgings in a house between kentish town and highgate a house with a good garden three days later muriel came to take possession of these lodgings worn out with the long journey but very tranquil her daughter was waiting to receive her on the threshold of this new home very sad very strange was that meeting the mother could not be made to comprehend that this noble-looking girl who held her in her arms and sustained her feeble steps was verily the child she had been robbed of years ago her darling was to her mind still an infant if they had placed some feeble wailing babe in her arms and called it hers she would have believed them and hugged the impostor to her breast and been happy but she did not believe in justina you are very kind to come she said gently and i like you but it is foolish of them to say you are my child i am a little wrong in my head i know but not so foolish as to believe that on one occasion she was suddenly struck by justina's likeness to her father you are like george she said are you his sister martin brought a famous doctor from cavendish square one of the kindest of men to see muriel he talked to her for some time inquired into the history of her malady and considered her attentively his verdict was that her case was hopeless i do not fear that her case will ever be otherwise than gentle he said nor do i recommend any more restraint than she has been accustomed to but i have no hope of cure the shock which broke her heart shattered her mind for ever justina heard this with deepest sorrow all that filial love could offer to this gentle sufferer she freely gave devoting her days to her mother while her nights were given to the public none could have guessed how the brilliant actress all sparkle and vivacity living in the character her art had created spent the quiet hours of her daily life but she had maurice always near her and his presence brightened every hour of her life he had laid his case before his lawyers and even the cautious family solicitor had been compelled to own that it was not altogether a bad case 
what was his astonishment however when three days later he was told that messrs pergament and pergament had met his solicitors examined documents discussed the merits of the case and finally pronounced their client's willingness to surrender the estate in its entirety without litigation but i told mr penwin of his cousin's willingness to accept a compromise to take half the value of the estate and leave him in possession of the land said maurice mr penwin elects to surrender the estate altogether an eccentric gentleman evidently then the whole business is settled there will be no lawsuit apparently not said the solicitor dryly lawyers could hardly live if people were in the habit of surrendering their possessions so quickly maurice called on messrs pergament and pergament and explained to the head of that firm that the young lady for whom he was acting had no desire to exact her full claim under squire penwin's will that she would prefer a compromise to depriving mr penwin and his wife of house and home very generous very proper replied mr pergament i will communicate that desire to my client justina was horrified at the idea of churchill penwin's renunciation all her old distrust of him vanished out of her mind she thought of him as generous disinterested abandoning a state and position from an exalted sense of justice but it is not justice she argued though it may be right according to my grandfather's will it is not just that the child of the elder born should take all maurice you must make some one explain my wishes to mr penwin i will not rob him and his wife of house and home i cannot have such a sin upon my head my dearest i fully explained your views to mr penwin he treated me with scornful indifference and declared that he would fight for his rights to the last he has chosen to see things in a new light since then his line of conduct is beyond my comprehension there must be some mistake some misapprehension on his part you must see him again maurice for my sake my dear love i don't mind oscillating between london and penwin manor for the next six weeks if my doing so will in the smallest degree enhance your happiness but i do not believe i can make your views any clearer to mr penwin than i made them at our last interview my dear justina interposed mr elgood pompously the estate is yours and why should you hesitate to take possession of it think of the proud position you will hold in the county your brilliant table at which the humble comedian may occupy his unobtrusive corner and i think he added with a conciliatory glance at maurice there is some consideration due to your future husband in this matter her future husband would be as well pleased to take her without a shilling as with penwin manor said maurice with his arm round justina of course my dear boy love is not love when it mingled with respects that stand aloof from the entire point shakespeare you would take your cordelia without a rood of her father's kingdom but that is no reason why she should not have all she can get and if this mr churchill penwin chooses to be quixotic let him have his way i will write to him said justina i am his kinswoman and i will write to him from my heart as cousin to cousin he shall not be reduced to beggary because my grandfather's will gives me power to claim his estate god's right and man's right are wide apart End of chapters twenty five and twenty six